Okay, Evie, you can do this. Big boots to fill. Actually, pretty stinky boots. James might still be listening. Oh, right. These clearly aren't his boots. Uh, uh, sorry, James. On with the show. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to Ecolution, Season 3. Series openers are always hard, but this is a bit of a double whammy. You're used to one presenter, and here you get another. So, I'm Evie. I'm 14, I live in Cabra, I love basketball, and I've been interested in climate activism since I was five. Ecolution has changed, and it's a change that took some work. So, that's what this first episode is going to be about. And who better to start the investigation than our brain trust? I wonder, did you ever have to make a change, and how did it make you feel? One day I wanted to go out and play with my friends, but my mom needed help around the house, so I, I changed my mind and decided to help my mom around the house instead of going outside and playing. I found it kind of difficult because like, we were playing a big soccer match and we hadn't done one of those in a long while and I really wanted to do it. During Covid I, I actually was addicted to playing my Switch and all that. But now when Covid's over I have to pass down the hours and go outside and play some sports. It's very difficult for me. Mine is still related to the Covid-19 pandemic because we couldn't go to school and it actually made me feel very sad because I like going to school and it was hard for me to change. I had a problem with homeschooling. My parents would have a hard time doing homeschool with me, having to tell me what to do, having to deal with me instead of a Mr. Malloy or Mrs. O'Farrell telling us. When I was doing Born and Oak, I had to change because I couldn't play with the boys anymore, so I changed to Camogie and Lays Football instead. And it was difficult because when I started football and Camogie, I didn't know anyone. I enjoy it now more. I can relate to all of those. Because there's no question, change is hard. But what happens when change is absolutely necessary? Just a few weeks ago, the latest IPCC report was released. That's the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change. And it's the UN body for assessing the science related to climate change. It's made up of thousands of scientists and climatologists who are absolute experts in their area. And it's their job, as a panel, to make recommendations, as well as telling governments and all of us the state that our planet is in. This most recent report was on mitigation. So what exactly is that? Let's check in with Dr Shane, who is hidden away in some kind of experimental lab from the sounds of it. So the IPCC this year released this really important report, all about mitigation. It's a really complicated word, but basically all it talks about is lessening. Lessening the impact of climate change, lessening the emissions associated with climate change. That could be carbon dioxide, it could be nitrous oxides, it could be even methane, natural gas that we fart out all the time. The whole point about it though is to try and come up with a plan, a long-term plan, in how we can reduce what we emit. And it's getting really specific about this as well, really particular about the sources of these emissions and starting to plan how we can change all of that, how we can do it in the short term but also how we do it in the long term. The problem here though is that it doesn't get exact about the recommendations. It doesn't say this company is doing this and it needs to do something else this country is emitting way too much and it needs to change. So it isn't quite as exact as it needs to be just yet. And that's a problem because without that exactness, you can't really get commitments to change. So that's gonna be one of the biggest problems as we go forward with these new plans. As part of this plan, one of the biggest recommendations that's made is that we need to cut out our use of fossil fuels almost immediately. Now that's not going to be easy 
But believe it or not, it's one of the easiest things we can do in comparison to some of the other stuff that's also emitting loads of greenhouse gas emissions. For example, we grow lots of food everywhere. We change land in order to grow that food. And it's much harder to tell people to stop eating as opposed to telling people to drive less or take fewer international holidays every year. Telling people to stop eating beef is a much more difficult thing to do. Because people don't really want to have to change their ways, which is quite natural. If something seems to be working just fine, for them anyway, why would they want to change how they look at the world? The brain trust aren't any different. Oh, for me, I don't think it's easy to change my mind about something because once I get settled on something, it's hard for me to change my mind from that. Especially if you've believing in some certain thing in most likely all your life or at least a few years. I find it pretty easy sometimes, but I find it hard sometimes. So I was asked to move into the smallest bedroom when I was in the biggest. I found that a hard decision and hard to do. It's hard to change my mind because I'd be very skeptical about what proof there is. If there's no proof, then I wouldn't really believe it or I wouldn't really change my mind about it. I think it's so easy to change your mind because you could see something, but then you could see something else and then you could think, oh, I might want that more, but then you could see something else and again and again and again. When my mind is caught on something, I can't take it off of it. It's very hard to change my mind because I'm very stubborn. Oddly, change happens whether we like it or not. Sometimes we have the power to make that change. We can choose to cycle if the right infrastructure is in place. We can decide to become more vocal in our concerns about climate change with our family or friends. We can tell our elected officials how we feel so that they can help enact change at that level. All changes that we can enact. But what happens when change happens regardless of what we want? Climate change is happening. It's happening because of choices humanity made in how we made things during the Industrial Revolution, and even before that. Because the world is set up in a way that expects people to consume, to grow healthy, live longer lives and prosper, all potentially good things. But when the changes of increased industry leads to monstrous fossil fuel emissions, when our habits mean that we happily fly on a regular basis, when corporations are allowed to pollute, extract and emit, unchecked, all in the interest of progress. Those changes in how we use the world have a knock-on effect, one that's unsustainable. But sometimes the changes that happen to us have a positive knock-on effect. Let's take a short trip to Carlo. Hello, my name is Cathy Purcell. I'm the general manager here at Castlecomer Discovery Park. So when I took over, it's been my sort of goal to make it as green, as environmentally friendly as possible so I'm trying to I suppose develop the park not just to be an adventure park but to be more of a discovery park. My name is Len Brophy I'm a carpenter by trade and I do maintenance here in the park. It's a great ministry and it makes everyone aware of our environment like plant life and insect life, animal life. Quite a number of red squirrels, there's otters down in the river, we have a pine marten somewhere around as well. It's all here to be seen in the sun or front door like. We're really on a journey, I guess, to take the whole concept of what we did in the past. Castlecomer was very famous for its coal mining, and for hundreds of years we were taking carbon out of the ground. The Castlecomer coal mines were kind of famous throughout the British Isles anyway, because some of the best anthracite came from Castlecomer. So it was very high-quality coal that came came out of here. And it was a very big industry, and nearly everybody in the town was employed by it. My father was a carpenter in the coal mines, 
when he died he was 49 years of age. It was a general thing that men around the locality lived to about 65 on average with pneumoconiosis. That was the disease of the being underground, swallowing column and dust and whatever. But it was a very vibrant place at that time now, just coming near the end of its days, as, as I remember, do you know what I mean, in the 60s, in the late 60s. In 1969, the coal mines closed. When it closed down, we have different nationalities coming in and building factories, and it was a great boom altogether. But then, sure, it all died off again. And as a matter of fact, it became one of the kind of economic black spots of the country. This is where people power come into play. The community came together saying... We want to do something ourselves. And they said, well, let's look at developing tourism. Let's pay tribute to our coal mining history. And that's where we started. We actually started with a coal mining museum. But then they seen that there was an opportunity in the area, the old Wandersford estate, where we're standing now, 80 acres of woodlands and lakes. So they developed adventure tourism. That actually now has become the most successful part of our business. And the coal mining museum, I suppose, is less popular nowadays. But we want to turn that on its head a little bit and and tell that story of going from carbon extraction to sinking carbon. My name is Kirsten Shortall. I work here at Castlecomer Discovery Park. My granddad and his father before him worked in the mines, so I would have always known about you know the mining heritage of Castlecomer and through him and the kind of family history of it. And yeah, so it's it's brilliant for me like to come back and help work in the environment, how it's changed throughout the years, and you know I feel really connected to my own family past and the past of the town and the park really. I think the heritage of it is so important, but it's also really beautiful to see it kind of come alive into more of a sustainable way. I think this is really challenging, the whole climate change conversation, particularly in a strong farming community. It can bring a lot of challenges, but I think there's a realisation. People are seeing what's happening all around the world and there's, there is a strong realisation it's taken a while, but our town now, Castlecomer, is really flourishing. The park is our boom now, our key to success, I think. Sure. As a lot of people will stop you and say, I like your office, and I think I like my office. <laughs> it's a lovely place to work like. So, in Castlecomer, the coal mine shut when the coal ran out, and now they're working to reverse the damage done and become not just carbon neutral, but hopefully carbon positive. The extraction of fossil fuels is a short-term game there, and that is true for the entire world when you step back and look at it. The best case scenario for our planet is that we remain on track to 1.5 degrees of warming in the coming decades. This is not good news, but it's where we are. As Shane said, the latest IPCC report states that the number one priority in order to allow this is to divorce ourselves from the use of fossil fuels like coal and gas. But how tricky is it going to be for us to convince everyone that ending fossil fuels needs to happen? and that it needs to happen fast. Ending fossil fuels isn't actually that challenging if we think about it. There are alternatives. Solar power is getting more and more efficient by the day. Wind energy, well, there's always going to be wind and we're now really good at capturing that. And then lots of other alternative types of green energy. So the options are there, but the big challenge is convincing people that it's worth making that change. It will cost us more money, We will have to pay more tax on our cars if we don't change. And we're certainly going to have to pay for the wind turbines or the solar panels that we put on our roofs. The biggest challenge 
is convincing people that stopping the use of fossil fuels is worth it and that continuing in the same thing we're doing all day every day for the last 200 years, there's something wrong with that. Convincing people can feel like an uphill struggle. I know I find the speed that we're moving at really frustrating. I wish everyone could see that we're just not moving fast enough. Have you ever been on one of those travelator conveyor belt things? I feel like I've walked onto one. Everyone agrees in principle that we should step forward to keep us moving as swiftly as possible. But some people have decided to stay still and not move so fast, slowing the rate of change for everyone. They may say we'll get there, no rush, and set targets like 2050 or 2070 for being free of fossil fuels, which feels too far away to even comprehend, and it's not good enough. But I think I need someone to reassure me that we are moving. If only someone had written a book that was short and hopeful. My name is Ushin McGann. I'm a full-time writer and illustrator. I've written a lot of different types of books for all levels of reader, from first-time reader up to adult. And A Short Hopeful Guide to Climate Change is my first non-fiction book. Everything else I've written has been fiction. It was a book I was asked to write by Little Island and who were working with Friends of the Earth Island. But it's a subject that I've been interested in for a long time. So when they came and asked me, I was well up for doing it. We asked Oshin what he thought about change and how slow it can feel. Change isn't starting to happen. Change has been happening this whole time. And because it's slow and incremental and it feels like it's so slow almost that we can't see it. But actually, if I look back over my life, which, you know, okay, I'm 48, but it's still relatively short in terms of the age of the earth. I remember when I was a kid, 12 or 13, 14, And I remember being in Dublin one evening and looking up and seeing a brown sky because the pollution was so bad. And we are making changes all the time. The world is a big place. It takes a long time to make any change that will have an effect. But some of those things will happen quickly. There are certain changes we can do that will happen very quickly. There are certain other things that we can do that will help us adapt. We often don't pay much attention to kind of the infrastructure around us. Simple things like drains and the way roads are built and all these things. All of these things that people are, engineers are taking into account, we are changing the way we make things because we know this is not coming. There's a bunch of these examples in the book. So one of the things, for instance, the Thames Barrier in London was built to help London keep from flooding because it's on a tidal river and it, it faces major flooding. If, if kind of the barrier is just these massive gates that close and they've been closing increasingly often as kind of conditions get worse and now they're going to have to build a bigger one. But it shows that governments and kind of the people in power and the people who build stuff and and kind of build our infrastructure are paying attention and that we are aware that we are going to have to adapt to this. And we are aware a lot of the time that it is cheaper to change what we do than have to make up for the consequences of doing it badly. You know, all of this is progress. Some of it feels really, really slow. But we have built a civilization in, in what is effectively the blink of an eye in the Earth's lifetime. We kind of belted forward we you know we we outran evolution we outran the resources of the earth and now we're kind of backpedaling going whoa just like everybody calm down a bit we need to kind of think this out a bit better the thing is once you pick a particular area and you look for the progress or you look for the, the solutions in that area they're there loads of people are doing things about it but because they're slow and they're incremental and they kind of take some time we might not be aware how much things are changing and have changed So there is hope there that we are, you know, it is an ongoing process. It's not something we just started now. A bunch of things were happening actually just towards the end of the book. So Ireland banned the harvesting of peat, you know, so we're we're not there yet. But our peat bogs are massive carbon sinks. They're really important to the environment. And we finally got our heads around the fact that we have to protect those now. Two of the major manufacturers of power stations have stopped building coal-powered power stations. 
if you try and step far enough back, you do see the world starting to shift and change. Every now and again, you have to remind yourself, take a look back 10 years or 15 years or 20 years and look at the difference. Because it's hard for us to see when something is normal and up close, how, how much we've changed in a relatively short time. He's not wrong. Many climate scientists, for all that they're scared, no longer have to fight with people denying the climate crisis. The evidence is clear, and so too are the steps we need to take. The question is if we are all up for the collective action that is needed, from the very top of industry and government to kids like us. Why is collective action so hard? And have we ever done anything like this before? Climate change is a funny one, because it doesn't affect everybody in the same way. If a war broke out, oftentimes it affects lots of people in the same way, and we could all understand the same risk, and therefore the same collective action that we need to take. With climate change, it's much more challenging because one person in one country will be much more affected than another person in another country. Or one person with one diet might be affected in a very different way to another person who eats different things. Or one person who travels in one way has a very big change and another person doesn't really change at all because they always cycled. So convincing people to make that big change and cut fossil fuels entirely is going to be really, really challenging. But we've done something like this before. So back in the 90s, we discovered globally that there was a huge hole in the ozone layer, largely above the Arctic at the top of the planet. And collectively, we all came together and banned the gases that are causing that hole. Now, it didn't really affect very many people, or so we thought. It certainly didn't affect everybody in the same way. But we were able to pull together and all do the same thing all change the way we produce things, the way we buy things, the way we use things, in order to repair this hole in the ozone layer. The battle for climate change and the battle to cut out our use of fossil fuels is going to be just as tricky because it affects people in very, very different ways. So it's going to be very challenging, but it is possible. It is definitely possible to cut out fossil fuels, but it will require everybody to think about everybody else. To think about the folks in Africa who are going to be much more impacted than climate change versus people like us in Northern Europe who will be largely a lot less impacted by this. We're going to look into climate justice again over this series, but our aim is always to try and share the positive along with the negative, the good with the bad. And there are people at grassroots level trying to make a change. Where I live in Cabra, we've set up a group to try and do just that. Connecting Cabra wants to engage as many people as possible to create a sustainable, low-carbon community in Dublin 7. To make the positive changes we can make and fight for the ones we can't. And we're not on our own. Community groups all around the country are making interventions for biodiversity, for transport and sustainability. Proving that when you do things together, things become easier. Let's go for a walk in a community garden. My name is Stephen Doody and I'm a visual artist based here in Dublin. As part of this year's Five Lamps Arts Festival, working with Mud Island and groups like EasyTreasy.com, Tree Council of Ireland, Engineers Without Borders, we're showing how trees can be planted in the cityscape to help improve biodiversity, nature and the general appearance of the city. The project's called Hiding a Forest in Plain Sight. Not everybody has room to plant a forest, but everybody has room to plant a sapling here or a sapling there. So we're planting birch, silver birch, roan, hazel, 
trees that are more suited to the cityscape, smaller in size so they don't grow too big and cause large obstructions or anything like that. I'm community tree planting facilitator with a group called EasyTreesy.com. Their main mission is to plant a million trees, one for each school kid in Ireland. So I started this project last year with Mud Island uh, where we planted 700 saplings with the Mud Island community, Ballybock, Pride of Place, Royal Canal Cleanup and we decided to, as part of the Five Lamps Arts Festival again this year to repeat that project. The Mud Island community have been developing a tree map we know, for example, that Windsor Avenue has 10 trees planted on it. We know that Nottingham Street has 22 trees planted on it. So we'll be able to see the trees that were planted last planting season, plus the 700 this planting season. So that's 1,400 trees going within a kilometre of Crow Park. So that's more than doubling the current tree stock in the northeast inner city. And this is spreading out other communities get involved, other groups get involved and it's easy to see how you can hide a forest in plain sight. I suppose in total my tree list this year was 53,000. That's working with different groups, tidy towns, community groups, boy scouts, a huge variety of different people. The cityscape people have room for one, two saplings maybe, whereas in the country we've been using that half an acre of a site out the back of a house or a quarter of an acre of a front garden has been planted out. And linking up all the people in community. The likes of Silver Birch supports 244 different types of life form, everything from lichens and insects to birds and bats and whatnot. Trees are important for not just biodiversity, but they reduce flooding, they clean air, they reduce particulates in air. So there's trees of more than just the obvious role of producing oxygen for humans there's a lot more different roles they can do in the country and it's also the educational element that goes along with it that people can see we can plant a tree in our back garden it's okay to plant trees we don't need to chop them down and then as an extension of that it's changing how we cut our grass rather than scutting it down to 30 millimeters we're now cutting it up to maybe 10, 11 centimetres long that allows your dandelions buttercups and daisy these flowers to get up and provide early and late feeding material for bumblebees and butterflies and that kind of thing. You have to be hopeful because if you sit down you're just admitting defeat and nothing will ever happen and it's only from true grassroots level movements that change will happen. It takes a phenomenal amount of effort to make a community happen it's not just it's never just one individual it's also the groups of people that are standing with that individual change has to start somewhere it's only by starting the process and actually getting it moving that change will happen group actions within your community within your homes can and will make a difference even if it just means your voice is a lot louder when accompanied by others shouting for the same thing but we can't sugarcoat it Change can happen for the good, but it cannot happen fast enough. So, overall, yes, it is possible to cut out fossil fuels, and yes, it is likely, but it's not going to be as quick as we need it to be, unfortunately. If I was to be really positive about this and very optimistic, I would say that we'll all pull together and make that big change tomorrow, because it's the right thing to do. But if you think about it, 
People's priorities, what's important to people, are very, very different from one country to the next. If I'm in the middle of a war, for example, like those poor souls in Ukraine at the moment, are they going to be thinking about climate change right now? No, they've got more important things to worry about. And it's the same globally. There are very, very different interests that people have. And convincing people that we all have a common, single interest on this planet is going to be tricky. And it's not going to happen quickly. It will happen, I have confidence in the human race, but it's going to be a little bit slower than we want it to be. So because this happens a little bit slower than we would like it to do, we're going to have to accept that things will change outside of our control. Weather is going to get a little bit crazier. We are going to have to pay more for our flights. We are probably going to have to eat an awful lot less meat. These are some of the changes that will happen to us without us necessarily deciding them. We have to act now. If we do, we can halve emissions by 2030. The global temperature will stabilise when carbon emissions reach net zero, but it does seem as if we're failing to act fast enough. If we act, it will mean a better world for everyone. But almost everyone we speak to for Ecolution talks about how hard it is to talk about the climate crisis, how you have to know your audience and think about how best to convince them that the change is coming, whether they like it or not. But I know how smart most young people are. We live in a world where we see the changes in the weather, We know that COVID was a result of humanity's expansion into the natural world, leaving less space for nature. Many of us are lucky enough to have parents who see these things too, and want to do something about it. My mum had an interest in climate change since before I was born, and made sure that I was well informed. In fact, she just finished a Master's in Climate Change through DCU. Across this series, we're going to focus as much as we possibly can on those good people, young and old, who are choosing to be agents of positive change in the world. We'll look to the skies and discuss birds, head to a hospital for native Irish wildlife, dig into the boggy ground to see what lies beneath and how it affects our world, meeting so many adults and kids on the front line of the climate crisis. And I know you guys want to be part of that too. There are a few changes I'd like to make this year. First of all, I want everyone to be as kind as possible because sometimes it can be hard to be kind to certain people. I'd like to be more independent and go on my first sleepover and maybe go out to the shops without my mum. I'd like there to be more equality, like for women and for people who have different coloured skins and, and equality in the workplace. Also, I would like the world to stop littering because that is really bad for our environment. We need to change the way we live on the planet because at the rate we're going, there will not be much of a planet left to live on in a while. We can't just move to Mars. The air is getting too trashy, so we need to change more types of cars. We need to have more electric cars. We definitely have to change the way we live on the planet because if we don't stop, the water levels will keep rising and soon there won't be any land to live on. Earth will just be water. Fish will have plenty of places to live. Indeed, we need to change. We need to change the way we throw trash in the sea. We need to change the way we use so many things and we may throw them in the bin. And maybe if the richer people in the world, say like Jeff Bezos, Elon Musk, if they could help a bit more, it'd be phenomenal. Even just the smallest thing you can change, like driving less or just wasting fuel in general. Because fuel emits CO2 and it's going to be trapped in the earth and it's going to be melting the icebergs like Max said, it'll be flooding. If we don't change our ways, then just as well be a horrible place. Phew, my first show done and nothing exploded. 
result. Oh no, see you next time. Thanks to Sophie, Max, David, Zach, Oren, Cashel, Juno, Nisha, Adam and Aaron for being a part of today's show. If you'd like to join the Ecolution Brain Trust or just want to get in touch, you can email junior at rte.ie. Ecolution was produced by Nikki Cochran for RTE Junior Radio. This is Anne. RTE Junior!